Welcome to the Women's Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Sheridan House. We continue today in the series, Inconceivable, A Study of Heaven. If you missed any part of this series, you can find it and others online at sheridanhouse.org backslash WBS. We hope you enjoy today's lesson. We're going to be talking about who was Moses. Who was Moses? We've been looking at Joseph's life and how God used him in a mighty way in the taking back of Israel out of um, famine and moving him to Egypt. And we just see God's mighty hand in all of the life of uh, Israel. And today we're going to be talking about who was Moses, the exodus, a way way out or departure, first... uh, part of your outline, a way, <clears throat> a, a way out or departure. We've been continuing that theme of how God has prepared a place for us, and we studied in Genesis that mankind was created for fellowship with God. That's why we were created, to fellowship with God, and we saw how man failed under every test and condition, every test and condition. Genesis was a story about the birth of the Hebrew family. Exodus was about the birth of a Hebrew nation. And we see God's hand so much in every aspect of it. Genesis, we learn through Abraham's life that a lamb is provided. And that was such a glorious moment when God stays the hand of Abraham and says, Abraham, the lamb is provided. There's a, there's a ram over in the bushes, and we just excitedly see that moment. And then in Exodus, the lamb is provided again. It's talked about again, and we'll be looking at that <coughs> in a couple weeks about the Passover and how the lamb is provided, how a picture of Jesus, the ultimate lamb. Genesis, the great theme is creation. Exodus, the great theme is redemption, redemption. All of this was necessary for God to be able to provide the inconceivable gift that we've been looking at all year that he desires for us, an eternal relationship with him called heaven. Exodus begins with the word now. If any of you have a King James Version, I don't think too many of us use that version anymore, but if you have a King James Version, the very beginning of Exodus chapter 1, do you all have it? It says now. And it goes on from there. Do you know what now means in the original language? Now. (laughs) The whole point of now, Exodus 1 happens, seems to point to how every author is not telling his own story. It's not just about um, Abraham. It's not just about Joseph. It's not just about Moses. It's how it all comes together. Part of the drama which a mighty sovereign guard God has orchestrated. All a part of his plan for mankind to be able to have a relationship with him, which is impossible without his plan going operational. So now, let's take a look at the history. A on your outline. Uh, don't fall asleep. You hurt my feelings if you put your head down and take a snooze while we talk about history, but it's kind of important. But 300 to 350 years had transpired between Genesis and Exodus, last week's lesson and this week's lesson. The last 14 chapters in Genesis recount events that caused the migration of Israel to Egypt. We saw God's mighty hand in the lives of Joseph and why God put Joseph in Egypt. So not only to uh, save Egypt from famine, all known parts of mankind from, from famine, but also including Israel. He wanted to save his people. And Jacob and and all of his sons were a part of the future of what God was doing for Israel. And so God orchestrated Joseph just at the right moment being in Egypt. Number one, God's blessings. The book of Exodus begins with God's blessing. Verses one through three, look with me. Now... These are the names of the sons of Israel, or Jacob, who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each of his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. And when Joseph died, and all his brothers 
in all of that generation. Then Joseph died and all of his brothers in all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. God made Israel fruitful and multiplied them. The translation, I love this one. One of the translations says, swarmed with them. Swarmed. What do you think of when you think of swarmed? Bees, or in Sheridan House, we've been struggling with ants swarming everywhere. <laughs> but anyway, swarmed with them. I love that. Why? Acts 7 Verse 17, you don't need to look it up. I'm going to read it to you. But it kind of talks to us about that. But as the time of promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, <clears throat> the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. It was a time to fulfill the promise to Abraham. And so the land swarmed with the Jewish community, the Israelites. Later in the book, we learn that there were two to three, are you ready? million, million Jews, including women and children. We learned that, that because that is a, the number that uh, Moses is going to take out of the land of Egypt. God certainly did multiply them. And Abraham's uh, covenant was beginning to come true. God loves to fulfill his promises. Loves to fulfill his promises. Um, I just feel compelled to share this right now. One of the uh, things that we've been dreaming about here at Sheridan House is if you, I don't know if you've ever noticed in the back corner, very far, the farthest removed we could possibly be from the boys' property is a site, uh, a padding, is that what you call it? Pad? Pad. For the women's, the, ch the girls' program. We have spent months upon months going over the program. What will it look like? How do we protect the girls? How, do we, how does this happen? How do we keep little girls, 12-year-olds, who um, really act like 23-year-olds in our culture today, unfortunately? How do, we, how do we protect our staff? How do we protect them? And on and on. They've spent meeting after meeting looking at it, what it looks like. As of Tuesday, the board said... Let's go forward. Some of you here have financially been involved in that process. And I thank you for that. And it's just a joyous example of God's promises come to fruition. We've been waiting. We've been doing our part of thinking it through and analyzing, making sure it's the safest situation. And now it's done. Wow. So we're going to start building. So when you come on every Wednesday, just drive around the property. You'll see the triplexes going up like crazy. And then way in the far corner, we're going to begin to see um, construction for the girls' property. Wow. God's promise coming together. God's promise coming together. Okay, what was number one? I got so carried away, I lost my train of thought. God's blessing. Number two, what was the problem? What was the problem? God's blessing also caused problems. A, first of all, because Joseph was forgotten. Verse one, 8, now there arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Hard to imagine because of who Joseph was in the life of Egypt. I'm, I mean, goodness sake, he was a legend, I would think. <laughs> and so for a generation to come up that did not know who Joseph was, the one that saved us in the time of famine, the one that was great under Pharaoh, um, but he was forgotten. So, Here's what happened. B, the Pharaoh that did not know him, his fear, Pharaoh's fear, verses 9 and 10. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. He was worried about war as he looked out on this uh, um, people group that was swarming his country in such a productive and lucrative way, he was fearful that they would join forces with <clears throat> their enemies and that there would be war. Also, the Egyptian culture did not understand the Jewish culture at all. The Jewish culture were shepherds, uh, caretaker of animals, and to them, that was just unthinkable. They just did not involve themselves in um, 
such a, quote, barbaric, unquote, um, practice, which they considered. So three, what happens? The oppression. Pharaoh's solution came in three phases. First, to make them slaves. Look at chapter 1, 11 through 14. Therefore, they set taskmaster over them to inflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pitham and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Is that God or what? Do you love it? <laughs> and the more he spread about, the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now, though life was bitter, guess what? They still swarmed. They still multiplied. Even though they were slaves and came in, I'm sure, just exhausted at the end of the day, God continued to bless them. God continued to bless them. Where are you going with that laughter? <laughs> Can't believe we're taping this. Anyway, so <clears throat> they continued to multiply. Second solution, to have the midwives kill all the newborn male. Verses 15 through 16. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Puah, when you serve us as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, they sh she shall live. Failure here also didn't work out. Why? Verse 17, because the midwives were dedicated to a higher authority. Do you love it or what? One of the group leaders <coughs> at our meeting said, are you kidding? Midwives, they love babies. Are you kidding me? Of all people to try and rope into something like that, it's unthinkable. They love babies. That's their business. But that's what the Pharaoh wanted them to do. Look at verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. I love it. I love the guts of those midwives. And what a lesson for us. Uh, uh, sometimes don't we act like we're more afraid to disappoint anything or anybody but God? We have this kind of this, this way of thinking, well, you know what? Um, you know, God will forgive me, but boy, I don't know if my friend will. And so we tend to want to please everybody else and think, you know, well, God will get over it. Well, guess what? Our first loyalty should be to honor God. Be obedient to him. Make sure that um, we are dedicated to a higher authority. Well, the midwives didn't work, so Pharaoh had a third so solution, which was to throw every newborn male into the Nile. Into the Nile. Deceived and frustrated by God-fearing God midwives, the final plan, verse 22, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you, may, you shall let <coughs> every daughter live. Doesn't that give you sort of a, that sounds kind of familiar in 2019. Genocide. Wow. Wow. B, but God had a plan. God's plan versus Pharaoh's plan. But God, again, one of the most powerful verses that we see throughout scripture we see things happening we see the um, the purpose of something about to happen and then all of a sudden we see the words but God but God and in this instance I love it verse 24 is and God basically the same idea as but God Pharaoh's plan bondage sorrow poverty and death God's plan liberty joy plenty life it's, isn't it such a picture of Satan's plan versus God's plan? Satan's plan versus God's plan. Pharaoh's plan versus God's plan. Wow. The cultural plan versus the spiritual plan. So the solution, see on your outline, what did they do? What we should all do in times of trial and bondage. May I say that again? What we all need to do 
in times of trial and bondage. Is there anybody sitting here who has not had a trial in their life? <laughs> I see no arms in the sky, in the up. Absolutely, we all have them. But here's what we need to do. Number one on your outline, the people cry out. The people cry out. Chapter 2, verse 23, the end of it. <clears throat> the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Are you suffering in a circumstance that you feel helpless in? Let me say that again. Are you suffering in a circumstance that you feel helpless in? Do what the Israelites did. Because, number two, God hears. God hears. He hears our cry. Now, here's our problem is 21st century Americans. We tend to think, okay, I cried out to you this morning, Lord, at 7 o'clock. It is now, goodness sake, 1030. When are you going to do something about this, right? Aren't we all that way? God does things. Thank goodness he heard the cries and responded to it in the way he felt was best because we're going to see a miraculous, amazing happening for the children of Israel through God's plan and timing, not our plan and timing, God's plan and timing. Hebrews 4.13 says, and no creature is hidden from his sight. Let me say that again. No creature is hidden from his sight. I love that. When we are going through our difficulty, when we are suffering, when we think nobody understands, nobody knows what I'm dealing with, he knows what we are suffering. He knows what we're experiencing. He knows what in the quiet of our, our rooms are praying desperately for and crying out to him for. He knows that. This that the children of Israel were, were experiencing was not something self-inflicted, a consequence for their own sin. No, later on in the wilderness, we'll get to that. <laughs> and there will be consequences to their mistakes. But at this point, it was nothing that they could do. It was persecution to them. It was not of their making. Not only did he know about that, and here, number three, God remembers. God remembers. Back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says this, and God heard their groanings, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Not that he forgot. He doesn't, he, it wasn't sort of like, oh, goodness sake, that's right. <laughs> I made this promise to Abraham. What was I thinking? I forgot all about it. No, God never forgets. God does not have a short memory like me. That seems to be getting shorter every day. But anyway, anyway, it's not that he forgets. He never forgets. What it means is that he acted on it. He remembered to do. In other words, he, he acted upon that promise that he made to Abraham Isaac or Israel and with Jacob he cannot forget he not only cannot forget but he acts on what he hears it, it reminds me of that moment um, when Jesus was taking our punishment upon himself on the cross and the thief next to him said remember me in paradise uh, remember me and Jesus said I will you will be with me in paradise someday he wasn't saying don't forget about me Jesus don't forget he's saying would you act on this is basically what that thief was saying. <clears throat> God is there in persecution. Psalm 34, you don't need to turn to it, but <clears throat> verse 17, 18 says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. And I want to add, not that we ever add anything to scripture, but in his way and in his timing, in his way and in his timing. Verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and saves the crushed in spirit. Let me read that again. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God hears, he sees, he remembers his promises, and he is concerned. And so we're going to see his mighty plan go operational. His mighty plan begins to roll into action, roll into action. And so God raises a deliverer. God raises a deliverer in response to the cries that he's hearing from his people of Israel that are coming up to him in, in Egypt. So he raises a deliverer. A, who was he? 
Well, first of all, <coughs> number one, let's take a look at his family. Who was his family? He was from the tribe of Levi, we learn in chapter 2. His parents were Amram and Jochebed, we'll learn in chapter 6, verse 20. He had an older sister, Miriam, one of my heroes of all times. She is amazing, amazing. We'll see in just a minute. Um, and then he had, she had, he had an older brother as well, an older brother. So what was he like? Look at verse, chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 2. The woman conceived and bore a son, talking about Jochebed, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Remember, there had been a decree from Pharaoh that every newborn male was to be thrown into the Nile. And so when, he noticed, when she noticed that he was fine, um, now let me quickly say that I don't think there's a woman alive that doesn't think their child is fine and the most beautiful baby ever born to mankind. But there was something very special about Moses. The word fine in Hebrew actually literally means attractive and well-formed. And then also Acts 7, verse 20 Hebrews 11:23 we have the idea of not only fine but beautiful not ordinary not just physically but fair in the sight of God I think a good description perhaps from those two verses added to the Exodus one is that he was beautiful in body and spirit there's something very very special about Moses like <coughs> the midwives Jochebed has a bold plan. I love the tenacity of Jochebed. I, I love the strength. I love the warrior woman in Jochebed. She is not going to let them take her son and throw him into the Nile, into the mouths of crocodiles. No way. This is my son who's special in the good sense of the word. <laughs> so three, what was Jochebed's plan? A, what did she do? Look at verses 2 and three of chapter two. She hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took, him, made, took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen. Does anybody know what bitumen is? Tar or something, I'm thinking. Yeah, and pitch. She put the baby in it, the child in it, and placed it among the reeds on the river bank. B, why did she do that? What did she do? Hebrews 11.23 tells us that she uh, did not fear Pharaoh because of her faith in God that he was in control. Uh, Hebrews eleven twenty three. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Her faith was active, not passive. When we feel inspired by God with a plan, we don't sit back and just prop up our feet and say, oh, good plan, God. Okay, now I'm going to just sit on the rocker and just rock for a while and just let your plan go operational. We need to do our part, don't we? It's kind of like about this time of year is when I start thinking about, okay, what are we going to study next year, Lord? And could you show me what we're going to study? And, you know, um, when the thought comes to my mind of what I think we're supposed to study, I don't just, you know, have, I, I need to look into it and I need to study and look and, and say, well, is, how about this and all that. Uh, it, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when it first happens, I remember I, I said, study Romans 8 <laughs> for an entire year? Are you sure, Lord? Or Nehemiah, that obscure book from the Old Testament? In my mind at first, it was like, okay, you handle it then, Lord, because I'm going to just sit in my rocking chair and let it happen. But no, we cannot do that, can we? We've got to do our part. We've got to look into, okay, what, is, what are you doing, God? How is this going to work out? What is my plan? How can I enter into it? And that's exactly what Jochebed did. She know that her, knew that her son was special, that, he, that God would not, that he was in control. And so she did her part in doing what she could do. See, then she waits. Can you imagine the emotion of putting your baby boy adrift in the Nile, in that culture, in a body of water like the Nile, literally full of crocodiles and every imaginable other things uh, in there, and she waits. Verse 4, And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. 
Can you imagine? Man, okay, Lord, I know this is your plan, but wow. So you know what? I'm going to put Miriam there to kind of oversee watch what's going to happen. Because um, you've got to have a plan, Lord. I, you put that on my heart to do. You've got to have a plan, so I'm going to watch it. The hardest part is waiting for God to act. Right? The hardest thing that we have to do is human beings, even when we feel and know that God sees, hears, is going to act, but waiting for that plan to go operational is probably the hardest thing that we do as followers of the great I am. Hardest thing we do. But his timing is not ours. Jochebed does all she knows to do, and then she waits for God to act. And then, be on your outline, God's plan unfolds we'll begin to see his plan unfolding. Number one, unusual circumstances. Unusual circumstances. God seems to delight in using crazy situations, doesn't he? I mean, think about this. Trumpets bringing down the wall of Jericho later on. Are we kidding? Jericho, whose walls were so thick and huge that they had dwellings within them and chariots would drive on top. And so Joshua says, okay, guys, we're going to get out the trumpets. We're going to go around and around and around them. And, um, and sure enough, if the walls don't come, a tumbling down later on. Unusual circumstance? I'm thinking. Absolutely. How about this? How about a young, probably teenage boy bringing down a giant who the entire armies of Israel are shaking in their boots to go in front of, the whole army, he says, let me do it. Gets himself a slingshot, boom. <laughs> Giant comes a-tumbling down. Wow, that's an unusual circumstance. Or how about this one? The ultimate. The most high God, creator of the universe, sustainer of the universe, setting the galaxies in place, creating everything from molecules to the universe, leaving the throne and being born in a cow stall. How's that for unusual? God loves having unusual circumstances. Look what he does in this instance. A on your outline, Pharaoh's daughter. Look at verses 5 and 6. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked <coughs> beside the river. She saw the basket among the, reed, among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and, and she took it. <clears throat> and when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. So she knows instantly who he is. The irony, do you love it? Pharaoh's own daughter. The very one that says, throw all the baby boys into the thing. And she goes, oh my goodness, it's a, it's a Hebrew baby boy. I'm going to save him. How ironic is that? How bold and brave is that, actually, on her part? God's creativity, I love it. Don't you love it? Her heart is moved. Who do you think moved her heart? God did, absolutely. I love the fact that God, um, our subject, uh, or that that. All peoples are subject to God, whether they're followers, believers, or not. They are subject to what God wants to do. And so God moved in this pagan woman's heart to have compassion on this little bo baby boy that his purpose was to save, to save his, the Israelites. Then what happens? Again, God's creativity. B, Miriam's ingenuity. Verse 7, I love this too. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Hey, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse this child for you? Wow, Miriam. Amazing. Again, God's sovereignty. Quick thinking on Miriam's part. Do you ever wonder if God cares about the little details of our life? Oh, my goodness. That Miriam thinks of it. That the Pharaoh's uh, daughter says, great idea. Have at it. And then Jochebed's blessing. Again, the sense of humor of God, the irony, the turn of events that Jochebed is rewarded for her faith and ingenuity. And not only <coughs> is Moses saved from the crocodile-infested Nile or from Pharaoh's daughter, who was the daughter of the one that decreed that he should die, but safely insured by the Pharaoh's own daughter that he gets to go home 
to mom. He gets to go home to mom to be fed and nourished and taught and raised for however long she got to do it. And here's, I love this, and she gets a paycheck for doing it. She gets a check signed by Pharaoh that said, your son's going to die. Oh, never mind. I'm going to pay you to nurse him. Wow. I love it. I love it. I love it. Only God. Only God. I love it. So we look at Moses' early life. (coughs) See, Moses' education, the first and most important education is the home. The early years spent at home. A, how long was it? It's It's not really clear but until he was weaned. And in that day, um, he, it could have been three or four years. Some commentators think six. Um, Stephanie was telling us about a country she went to that today, they even, you know, uh, into elementary school <laughs> level, they're still nursing. They come in and say, I'm going to have a snack, Mom, Poom, and then go out and play some more. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> and that's today. So who? Convenient and free. Convenient and free, Absolutely. Better than Gatorade, somebody said in there. But um, (laughs) anyway, so we don't know how long she had to take care of Moses. But what could he have learned at such an early age? A lot. A lot. The importance of the early years in a child's life. It's amazing. Have you noticed that about small children? How amazing that so much of who they are um, present themselves even in an early age. I mean, I've seen, you know, in, in my so far youngest uh, grandchild, uh, Nehemiah, he, by the time he was two, there were certain parts of his temperament you could see already. You could see certain bents in his personality that have developed more and more as he's gotten older and older. Even in a small child, you can see temperamental things. You can see, you know, some of them are barbarians. Some of them are pleasers. And you see that already in early, early ages. So we know the impact at an early age of children. I remember when Tori was born, when each of them were born, Bob and I said, we do not want a day to pass where this child doesn't hear the word of God. I don't care if they're a month old, they're going to hear the word of God. And so I have a picture of us sitting in the living room in the mornings, having our quiet time and making sure that, you know, Tori was in her swing, swinging or whatever. And we would read verses to her. We don't, didn't ever want them to miss out on hearing. We don't know what a little month, one month brain can comprehend, probably nothing, but it's, you know, he heard it. She heard it. Wow. Uh, should we ever think that we should thank the child care workers at church? Don't we sometimes think, oh, well, sh- they just, you know, they just um, serve in the nursery. And we act like it's, you know, such a menial thing to do. Oh, you know, they're in the nursery changing diapers and whatnot. No, they're impacting small children for the cause of Christ. Wow. I'll never forget Roby at age three. Um, <coughs> ran into, Tori was sitting in the living room in one of the chair, armchairs, and he walked in, he, he kind of scooted up next to her in the armchair, he was three years old, and said, Sister, I want to ask Jesus into my heart today. What should I do? Three years old. Three. Tori, at four, came leaping into our bed first thing in the morning. We hadn't even gotten up, hadn't gotten coffee, brushed her teeth or anything, jumped on the bed. She said, Mommy and Daddy, tomorrow I'm turning five. Today I want to ask Jesus into my heart. The importance of presenting to young children. Presenting to young children. So a lot could have transpired in Moses' life while he was before he was weaned from Jochebed. B. What was the urgency? We should sense the urgency as well. Hebrews 11, 24 through 26, you don't need to turn to it, but <clears throat> the results of their training, those early training, by faith, Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Whatever was instilled in that young boy grew into faith for Moses and the right perspective. He considered, verse 26, reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures 
of Egypt. For he was looking for the reward. He already sensed by the time he got to the palace to grow up the rest of his life <coughs> under Pharaoh's daughter's care that what he wanted to do was be connected and to identify with his own people and with his God, the great I Am, Jehovah. <clears throat> Did his family have an impact? I think so. Verse 23, by faith, the implication is his allegiance to Jehovah. So first uh, classroom, the home, most important. Number two classroom, of the culture, of the culture. Verse 10, chapter 2 of Exodus. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So Moses also becomes a son of Egypt. And through that experience, he receives worldly wisdom and learning um, of the culture. In other words, he was educated, educated. And remember that that was the, the, um, the biggest empire of the time. And so of all the empires or um, other countries, they would have had the best education and uh, all those, the worldly wisdom. And so he gives him some of that as well. <clears throat> but most importantly, the wisdom in, that God instilled at his mother's breast molded a man of character and godliness to make him usable by God. So first, the home. Second, yes, there are some cultural things that we can glean. And then thirdly, the classroom of God. Number three on your outline, the classroom of God. God used Moses to learn some things at the knee of his godly parents and even skills in a heathen education. Now God was ready to put into Moses' life three great lessons. A, Moses had to learn three lessons, and it took him 40 years in the wilderness for him to learn each one. Chuck Swindoll, who has a great book on uh, Moses, said this, Moses, born after midnight in the history of the Hebrews, endured 40 years of obscurity, solitude, and silence as God remade him, remade and readied him for the ep epical moment, thank you, <laughs> of his life, the Exodus. The epical moment of his life, the Exodus. God prepared him, and it took 40 years for all of those lessons to take fruit in his life. First lesson number one, he was nothing. He had to learn, I am nothing. He was nothing. Look at verses 11 through 15. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out into his people and looked on their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you the prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid. Apparently, he, when he was looking this way and that, he missed somebody sitting up in a tree or something. I don't know, but he was known. He was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. When, Mo when uh, Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, Midian and he sat down by a well. Apparently, he thought he was all that. <laughs> I'm going to take matters into my own hands here, help the Israelites out. Um, and he quickly had to learn that in his own power, he was nothing. A lesson every one of us have to learn that in our own strength, in our own abilities, even when they're God-given, in our own strength, we can do nothing. So he flees to Midian, verse 15. <clears throat> Before we can be of service to God, that's the place that we need to be. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4, 13. Not by my strength, <laughs> Not by my intelligence, not by my ability, not by anything of me, but through Christ I can accomplish the things that God puts before me to accomplish. Second lesson, he was somebody. He was somebody. Verses, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now Moses was keeping the flock of <coughs> the father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of the 
of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, oh my goodness, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see his great sight, but the bush is not burned to see this great sight. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said, here I, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take the sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. God was with him and calling him. He was somebody because God loved him and had a plan. He was nothing on his own, but in God, he was something. He was somebody to God. Third lesson, God, what God can do with somebody who knows he is nothing. <laughs> what God can do with somebody who knows he's nothing. Look at verses 7 through 10. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, and you will bring my people, the children, out of Egypt. Is that kind of a big task to be asked to do? <laughs> wow, I'm nothing but I'm somebody, and look what God can do with a nobody that is something, somebody to God. Amazing. Gradually, this was learned through 40 years in the wilderness, but there are still more lessons to be learned. B, lessons through objections. God continues to teach Moses as he makes objections, and God in his mercy, wow, he didn't have to do this, answered every one. Have you ever done that? God, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, what about if this happens? Or what if that happens? Uh, don't ask me if I've ever done that. I don't want to answer that. But anyway, so what were his questions? Number one, who am I? Who am I? Uh, verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God's answer, verse 12, I love the patience of God, how he answers every one of these questions. He takes time with Moses to answer everything. Isn't that incredible? He didn't have to answer those. I'm going on to my next servant that will just accept their responsibility. Anyway, <laughs> he said, uh, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, and you shall serve God on this mountain. Okay, answer one. Number two, next question, verse 13. Who are you? Moses says. Then Moses said <coughs> to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to me to, to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to him? Again, God answers, verse 14. <coughs> God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Wow first appearance of this particular name and character picture of God, Yahweh, I am, God's personal name, short for I am that I am. Basically, what he's saying is I am everything. I am the past. I am today. I am the future. I am everything that you could think that I am. I am. What a great name for God. So you'd think that'd be enough for Moses. Nope, not done. Third question. What if they don't believe me? Verse, chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses said, answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not, did not appear to you. God's answer, uh, verse 2. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. Um, in other words, God is saying, um, Yes, limited resources, but look at what I can do. And we'll see in uh, next couple weeks what God does with that staff what is in your hand four 
Fourth question, what if I can't express myself? <laughs> Chapter 4, verse 10, personal inadequacy. But <clears throat> Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your, to your servant, for I am slow of speech and tongue. Boy, oh, I, I wish I had the number of times I've said that. But anyway, um, but remember again, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, not in my own abilities, through Christ who strengthened me. All things through Christ who strengthened me, strengthens me. All things in you I am who strengthens me. I can do all things. God answers, 11 through 12. God is the adequate one. 11, <clears throat> God said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? It is not I, the, is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. He, God, Yahweh, I am, is able. Boy, how we need to learn that lesson, don't we? Oh my goodness. God's gracious provisions. How did God put up with Moses? <laughs> All those questions. You think he should have stopped at the first one, but don't we do the same? <gasps> don't we get so hung up and what can I do? What can I do? Oh my goodness, I don't know if I can handle I, 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 I. And wow, his provisions. His gracious provisions. Um, uh, real quickly, uh, uh, one of the very first sessions of um, Women's Community Bible Study was at Sheridan Hills Baptist Church. And it was in the day when they had something that was called January Meetings. And they'd have special speakers that would come by and, um, you know, come and hold weeks, you know, studies and so forth and um, I remember <coughs> one year we were in the middle of uh, January meetings and I just started teaching for the first time and um, I got a phone call from a girlfriend of mine that worked there during the day in the mornings and she said Rosemary I just want to let you know I just thought you would want to hear this if it were me I'd really want to know but um, you know you're, you're getting ready to teach in, in a couple minutes and I heard by the grapevine that pastor is going to bring the um, the uh, the January meeting guy happened to remember his name. This is how huge it was, Doctor Ward, and uh, he's they're going to bring by. He wants to show Doctor Ward what's going on in the women's ministry, and I said, Oh, Rhoda, thank you so much for telling me. I, wow, I really needed to know that. Thank you, and hung up with her, and I literally went down on the floor and said, I cannot do this. <laughs> I cannot teach in front of pastor. And I just was immobile. And I just lay there on the ground and said, what am I going to do? There is no way I'm going to teach in front of pastor. I don't care about the other guy, but, you know, <laughs> pastor. And it was all of a sudden, it was almost as if, you know, a audible voice of God, which it wasn't. It was just an, you know, impression on my heart. Rosemary, when have you ever been able to do it? <laughs> Not you. And as I pondered that more and more and more, I realized that's exactly right. It has nothing to do with me. He's the one that's going to do it. And so I'm saying, okay, so Lord, you're going to just have to take over here. I, there is no way, but I'm going to rely on you. You just take over. It's not me. It is you. You're right. Never once could I have opened my mouth to speak if it had not been for you to give me the words or whatever. And so as I'm saying that, I was lying in front of the door of the dressing area of my bedroom, and all of a sudden, the sun came through the window, and onto the door, woof, this bright, um, bright shining on the door. Hmm. I thought, okay, Lord, that's it. I'm getting up. I'm going in there. I'm going to do the best I can. You, if it's horrible, pff, it's you. <laughs> and <laughs> um, I, you're just going to have to take over. So <clears throat> I get there, and I'm just like, uh, he's going to do this thing. And I walked in, and um, Pastor did come, and he dropped off our guest speaker, and he said, I'm going on to the office, but Dr. Ward is going to stay here. Well, it turns out that Dr. Ward is the professor of New Testament at Louisville Seminary. 
and I'm teaching First Peter. <laughs> and I was almost about to go into my same fetal position, and, <laughs> and I realized that, I'd, that God had already worked through all of this with me. And I thought, no, I'm done. I'm not going there because it's not me. It's God. It's never been me, never been me, never been me. It's God. And so I was able to get up there a little bit, you know, like this, but <laughs> it was the most momentous time of God saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wow. He even provides, God even provides Aaron for Moses. Look at 14 through 17 and we're done. <clears throat> Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be uh, glad in his heart. You will speak to him and put the words in his mouth. I will give you with your mouth and with his mouth. I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. In other words, my words, God's words are going to come through your mouth to him. And take in your hand the staff, which you shall do the signs. In closing, in summary, God uses all of the circumstances that he works in our lives to accomplish what he's going to do. Secondly, through the lessons that we learn, he accomplishes what he wants to do. Through the answered questions that we might have of him, he accomplishes what he wants to do. Also, what Moses learned, we need to learn as well. I'm not, he is. I can't, but he can. I don't, but he does. That's what this lesson is all about. Not Moses. Yes, you are a special child. Yes, you are beautiful inside and out. Yes, God chose you to do it. But it's all about what God chooses to do through Moses and for, guess what, you and me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> how we thank you for this um, incredible lesson that we, every one of us have, have experienced in some way or another of having to learn, first, we are nothing, secondly, but we are something with you. And when we understand that, that you can begin to do amazing things in the people around us, in the lives around us, in our difficult circumstances, in our trials, in our heartbreaks, Lord, you can do major things when we learn those th three principles. I can't, you can and you like to work in those moments to make things happen. And that you love every minute detail of our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you have done and all that you're wanting to do through our lives. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that made it possible. Amen. 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 For previous messages, as well as other resources, you can visit SheridanHouse.org backslash WBS or call us at 954-583-1552. We hope you can join us again next week.